Well, we've been in, in Colossians now for, for some time, and in, in chapter 4, uh, we'll begin tonight in, in verse number 7, but we really find that verses 7 through the end of the chapter in verse 18, it's, it's kind of a almost closing remarks, and of course this, this book is an epistle, it was a letter that was written from Paul to the church at Colossae, and, and, and a lot of it has been instructional and encouraging, and, and all of these things as, as Paul is writing to them, and, and, and he's writing to them for, as, as a prisoner in Rome, and now he's beginning to conclude this particular letter, but he does so by really making mention of several different individuals. Uh, some individuals that are there in Rome with him, others who have come from Rome to Colossae, and others who are in Colossae, in the region there. And so he's kind of addressing people and, and making some uh, personal remarks to them or about them. And I, I think it's just going to be fitting over the next couple of weeks uh, to take some time and really look at some of the things that are stated about these individuals. I think there's some devotional thoughts that we can gain and glean from this that will be helpful to us. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to take some time and break down uh, these verses. And I've just entitled this Lessons from Godly Men because these are some men that the Lord used in different ways. These are, these are individuals, some of them you know them fairly well or you know their name well. Others, you probably know very little about them uh, because the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about them. Uh, but I think it's fitting. I mean, just the fact that they made it into the scriptures says something about them, uh, that the Lord would, would take the time to, uh, to put their names uh, to be written here, and, and they, they've left a legacy. They've left a testimony now for 2,000 years, and uh, that's something to, there's something to be said for that. So uh, Colossians chapter 4, we'll begin in verse number 7. Let's stand together one last time as we read verses 7 through 18 of this chapter. It says here, Paul again writing to the Colossians says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one uh, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras is one of you. A servant of Christ, or who is one of you? A servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and for them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus... And the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read unto you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, 
And that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing as we read the scripture. So you could tell as we read through that, this is, this is absolutely uh, obvious. This is the closing of the letter. And sometimes, maybe you've been guilty of this like I have at times, just breezing through portions of these letters because we think of them kind of like they're, uh, you know, just pleasantries or, uh, you know, it's just formalities. And, and I, I know I've done that at times in the opening of epistles. You know, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you you kind of almost skim that thinking, okay, let's get to the meat of this. And sometimes even at the end, especially when it's just going through a list of names of people that you know very little about, it's easy to just kind of skip on past it. But as we look at this, uh, this portion of, uh, of this chapter, I thought it would be fitting and helpful just to take a few moments uh, over the next couple of weeks and do a little bit of a biographical sketch of these individuals that are listed here and some of the things that are stated about them because, again... The Lord saw fit to put these names in the Bible, and that means that they, they must be of some value or some importance, and it might be good for us to learn some things about them. And, and I'll tell you that as I began to study some of these things out and some of these people, uh, I, I learned some things and became encouraged uh, by some of the things that were stated here. And before we really get into the, uh, the specifics about some of these, I, I just want to make an observation here uh, that here at the end... This is near the end of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. He's writing this from Rome, uh, where he is a prisoner. We know that with, within a short time after this, he would have been uh, ultimately martyred for the faith. Uh, and so he's writing this, and he's writing from a position of someone who has this team of people around him. Many of these names that are, that are listed here are people who have served alongside of Paul or are currently part of his missionary team. And the reason I bring that out is because early on in his ministry, Paul didn't seem to make a, a huge priority of having a big team around him. But the longer that he served and the longer that he was in ministry, it seems like the bigger his team of missionaries grew. And, and why is that? Well, I don't exactly know all of the reasons, but I have uh, some things that I kind of assume uh, may be true. Remember when they started off, uh, in Acts chapter 13, it was just Paul and Barnabas. Their first missionary journey, it was them. They, they, they took John Mark with them for a time and he left, but it was basically just Paul and Barnabas. By the second missionary journey, he took Silas and then, and then he goes through Lystra and Derby, and he picks up a couple other guys like Gaius and, and Timotheus or Timothy. And, but, but now by the end of his ministry... And, and really we read of it even in, in Acts chapter 20. I'll take a moment to go there and just read this for you because I think it's, it's important for us to hear this. Acts chapter 20, he's, he's basically concluding his third missionary journey and he's headed back toward Jerusalem. And this is going to be the end of his travels once this is all said and done. But in chapter 20 of Acts and verse number 4, it says, "...and there accompanied him into Asia." Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Segundus, 
and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus, these going before tarried for us at Troas. By the way, that us is important because we know that Acts was written by who? By Luke. And so when he's using the pronoun us and we, we know that Luke, the beloved physician, is also traveling with Paul. And so you've got this group of people that are traveling with Paul now. And, and so there's, that's a pretty distinct contrast between the beginning of his ministry, which was just basically him and Barnabas, and now he's got these men. And we know of others that weren't necessarily with him, uh, but, it, but had traveled with him in the past, guys like Silas and Titus and, and others who were faithfully serving with him. Why is that significant? Well, I personally think it's, it's, significant, it's significant because oftentimes when someone... As someone grows older, there are some things that they start to learn and understand. You know, with age comes wisdom, with experience comes wisdom. And one of the things that we start to understand and learn as we get older is that we want to expand our influence. Uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that, that we're not just, you know, we've got one life to live, right? And we've only got however many years the Lord gives us in order to serve Him and so we want to do the very best that we can. We want to make sure that we're, we're giving our all. And sometimes we need other people around us in, in order to expand that influence. Our time is limited. And so, in fact, the Lord teaches us in Psalm 90, we're, we're told that we, we're to number our days because our days are short. And I think as Paul grew older, he began to, uh, to, to consider, you know, really, I've got to do a little bit more than I have done in the past. And, and one man, even, even a very busy man, can only do so much. And so he began to invest in more people. He realized that the best way to expand his influence, influence was by multiplication and delegation rather than simply trying to do it all himself. And by the way, I, I just want to say too, as we consider missionaries and supporting missionaries, I personally like supporting missionaries who have this vision, where they understand, hey, I'm not just going to, to start a church and pastor a church and just to be the man in that place for the next 30 or 40 years, but, but I'm interested in supporting people who are looking at and saying, I want to find individuals that I can invest in and train and, and send forth because that's the best way that we can reach the world is by reproducing ourselves in others. And so you find at times, for instance, Paul sending Timothy or leaving Timothy in Ephesus or sending Titus to Crete where he was to ordain elders in every city and he had trained these men and then was able to leave them places and send them places so that his ministry could go forward and multiply in different directions. I also think that as Paul grew older, he probably became, became a little bit more gracious and began to see potential in others more than he did in his early years of ministry. As we study through the remaining verses here of Colossians, one of the men who is mentioned is Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. And I mentioned at the beginning that, that he was one of the men, uh, he was one of the first ones to travel with Paul, John Mark, bon Barnabas' nephew. And Paul and Barnabas at the time were Barnabas and Saul. They were sent from the church at Antioch. And the Bible tells us in Acts 13 that they had John to their minister, John Mark. But somewhere along the line on that first missionary journey, John Mark left and he went home. 
We don't exactly know why, but there were some hardship and some challenges that faced them on that first missionary journey, and we kind of get the idea that he probably just abandoned ship, to ship and went home. And so when it came time for them to leave for their second missionary journey, Barnabas said, hey, we need to bring John Mark again. And Paul's like, no, no, no. He's not welcome. He's not coming with us. We can't count on this guy. And then later on, we find him here in this chapter, as well as in 2 Timothy, talking about how Mark was profitable for the ministry. And I really believe that, that more than likely early on in Paul's ministry, there was a bit of a, he was a very serious individual. Now, he stayed that way, but, but Paul's life was so radically transformed by the gospel that you almost get this idea that he just had this expectation that he put on other people to be just like him. And you know, that's actually a fairly common thing that we see in young Christians and zealous Christians is, you know, they get saved and I mean, the Lord just does a, a tremendous work in their life and there's a great transformation there and, and, and it's a, a tremendous thing to see. But oftentimes, because of the experience that they've had, they tend to have very little grace for others who maybe aren't quite where they are. They tend to be a little bit critical, a little bit judgmental. And I think more than likely, and again, some of this is just my uh, assumption and, and things that I, I've seen as, as, as Paul grew and, and watched in the scripture, but I believe that he probably just began to be a little bit more gracious. I believe some of Paul's hardships caused him to uh, mature and to understand and realize that he too was a sinner. For instance, one of the things I see is that Early on in Paul's ministry, he describes himself as the, as the least of the apostles. Which is a humble statement. But then a little, bit, a little bit later on in his ministry, he described himself as less than the least of all saints. By the end of his ministry, he said, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I just think you see kind of a progression of humility in Paul's life and a, a, a self-awareness maybe uh, that, that, that came to him to give a little bit of grace and a little bit of understanding to others. And I, I think there's something to be learned for that or from that to us as well. As we grow and mature in Christ, we ought to grow in grace as well and have a little bit more patience for people in their spiritual growth. Give some time and some space and understand that people have potential. We don't always have to write someone off immediately when they don't measure up to where we think they ought to be. We should seek to be an encouragement and a helper. And I think that this, is, this was a, a, a grace that, that God worked into Paul's life, that as his ministry went forward, I believe the Lord helped him to understand not only could he have more influence by investing in individuals who could, who could carry on the work when he was gone, but also that by giving some grace and, 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 and seeing potential in others that he could be building disciples. I think there's a lesson there for us to, to really be striving, to be working to build disciples and reproduce ourselves in other people who can carry on the work that God has given to us when we no longer can. 
Not only is it important for us to give our lives in the service of Christ and do our very best for the glory of God, but it's important to leave behind others who can carry on the work. And I just want to challenge everyone here. When when your time on earth is done, who will be left to carry on the work that God has given you to do? Who are you reproducing yourself in? And so from from this, even just this statement, I was encouraged to consider, here's Paul nearing the end of his ministry, nearing the end of his life uh, as a prisoner in Rome, and he's writing to these Colossians, and he's saying to them, he's telling them of all of these people who have meant so much to him and mean so much to the work of God. I was encouraged and, and challenged really to say at the end of my life, I want to be able to point to people that God has used me in their life uh, to, to, to reach them and to develop them and grow them and that they too have, have been a blessing and encouragement to me and now the work will continue even after I'm gone. And so right here in Colossians 4 and verse number 7, the very first of these individuals that he, uh, that he brings up is this man, a man by the name of Tychicus. And, and I want to say again and just mention here that I believe that one of the, the, the points of value of all of these names and, and little biographies that we're going to look at is that it helps to add some reality and some humanity uh, to the scripture. It, it helps us to see that these were real people that, that, that lived real lives and, and were used of the Lord in their place and in their time. And so he addresses this man named Tychicus. And he says in verse 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Who is this man Tychicus? Well, apparently he was one of Paul's team that accompanied him on his journey toward Jerusalem. We read of him uh, in Acts chapter 20. If you remember when I gave you that list of people who had accompanied Paul there on that journey, his name was listed in there. He was from Asia, that region around there. And so he would have been known, for instance, uh, by, or to the men uh, at Ephesus. And, and, those, and this now was a man who was sent, he was from Colossae, and and was sent to Ephesus and to Colossae to deliver these letters to the churches. So Paul's in Rome, he's got these men with him, and and this particular letter was probably written by the hand of Tychicus. In fact, my my Bible has a kind of a subscription at the end of of the chapter that even says, uh, written from Rome to Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. And so he may have even been the one penning down these words as Paul dictated these words. And now he was a man from that region, probably from that church, who Paul then takes this letter and puts his seal on it and hands it to him and says, take this back to your church family. Take this back to these folks that you know in Colossae and tell them how I do. In fact, it seems that the letters of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon would have been written about the same time and probably sent 
on this journey that they would have taken from Rome to Asia, Tychicus and Onesimus went together and, and delivered these letters to these churches. And so he was sent now from Paul to inform and fill in these churches about Paul's state and his condition. He says there in, in verse 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you. Uh, he's, he's coming to tell you about how I'm doing. By the way, I think that's really important. I, I think Christians and churches ought to seek to communicate with each other. That they know how to better pray for one another. Uh, by the way, we, we support missionaries around the world. You ought to be reading their prayer letters. We've got them on the walls over here. You ought to read about them and how they're doing so that you can know how to pray for them and encourage them and help them. And I'm thankful that we've got technology today where we can send an email or even we can FaceTime or Skype or whatever and, and talk to these folks. They didn't have that back in the first century. And so individuals had to come and report. And that's what he's doing. He's bringing a report to the church about how Paul is doing and how the Lord is working there. I want you to notice that in verse 7 he calls him a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, there are brethren, and all the brethren are beloved in that sense that if you're a child of God, you love the brethren. This is a natural outflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I want you to notice that he calls him a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Why was he so beloved to Paul? Because he was a fellow servant. You know, there, there is something to be said for loving your church family just because they're church family. But the truth is that the real bond comes in as we serve the Lord together. The more that we can labor together in the work of the Lord and serving the Lord together, the more that that bond is formed. He was a beloved brother because he was a fellow laborer. Not only, though, was he sent to the church to inform them about Paul, but he was sent to the church to find out how they were doing. Notice he says in verse 8, Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. He said, I sent him to you not only so that you could be informed about me, but because I was interested in how you were doing. Imagine this. Here's the Apostle Paul sitting as a prisoner in Rome, not knowing his future, and he's sitting there, and he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the churches. How are those folks at Colossae doing? Those believers in Christ that are my brethren, how are they doing? You know, that's always been the heart of God-called men. To have a heart for the churches. I want you to hold your place here and, and go to Acts chapter 15. And just see something here. Acts 15, this is after Barnabas and Paul. They've gone out on that first missionary journey. The Lord greatly used them. Souls were saved. Churches were planted. Now they've returned to Antioch. They've spent some time there. And in verse number 36 of chapter 15, it says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again 
and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. They were on his heart. Paul didn't just simply say, well, our job is done. They're saved. Churches are established. They're good. They're independent. They're autonomous. We don't have to worry about them ever again. No, he said, we need to go back and check up on them. We need to see how they're doing. Why? Because his heart was with God's people. Paul spoke in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of all of his struggles and all of his burdens and all the problems. And then he said, beside those things which are about, he said, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He cared for the churches. I believe God's people care for God's churches. And that's what he's doing. He's sending Tychicus. He says, I, I want you to fill them in about what God's doing here and in my life, but I also want to know about them. I, I want you to find out how they're doing. And then he says, and to comfort your hearts. I sent him so that he could be an encouragement to you. Why? Well, think about it. How discouraging would it be to know that your brother, your friend, Paul, is sitting in prison, you know, for, and for preaching the truth. And he says, I, I wanted him to come and comfort you. I wanted him to encourage you. So that's Tychicus, a man, very little really known about him other than he was a man from that region, but he was a beloved brother and fellow servant of the Lord sent from Rome back to his home area to communicate between Paul and the churches there and probably hand wrote this letter and even delivered it himself to this church. Then we come to verse number nine and it says, with Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So Tychicus and Onesimus. Now Onesimus is a really fascinating character in Scripture. If you've ever read or studied the book of Philemon, you know that that book was actually written about Onesimus. Onesimus was a man, from the best we can tell, he was a servant or a slave to Philemon. Paul had been in this region, uh, and, and Philemon would have been more than likely a, a, a member of the church at Colossae here, and he had this servant. Now, you have to understand that most of the time in, in, in this part of, of history, when, when someone had a servant or a slave, it wasn't someone that they went out and purchased off the slave block. It, was, it would have been an indentured servant, probably someone who was indebted to them and was working off their debt. And so here you have Onesimus, who was a slave to Philemon. And he left. He ran away. He, he escaped from Philemon. And somehow, and I don't know exactly how it all worked, but he went and he found Paul. And as Paul was there in prison, he led Onesimus to Christ, and now he writes this letter to Philemon and, and sends it by the hand of Onesimus, and he says, listen, I know that he was unprofitable to you, but now he is your brother in Christ, and you need to receive him as a brother. This is, by the way, an incredible picture of Christ reconciling us to God the Father. 
We were those who went astray from Him, but Christ placed our sin on His account so that we could be restored to fellowship with God the Father. And Paul identifies Him as a brother beloved. He's a faithful and beloved brother. And so we gather that he was from uh, he was from this area. He was a slave that had left in shame. He had left with reproach, but now he was returning as a totally new man, a brother who'd been born again. Think about this. He left a lost slave escaping from his master, and he returned as a brother carrying an epistle that would be included in the canon of Scripture, possibly written at his hand. Amazing. Amazing how God can take brokenness, sin, baggage, and use it for his glory. Onesimus is a reminder that no matter what your past, with Christ there is always a future. History tells us, and this isn't recorded in the pages of Scripture, but history actually tells us that Onesimus may have gone on to become a pastor in the church at Ephesus after Timothy left. You remember that Timothy was left in Ephesus to, uh, to, to, to deal with issues there and to lead that church for a time. And now after he left, Onesimus may have assumed that role and led the church in Ephesus. Pretty amazing stuff when you think about it. These are the men who are carrying this letter of Colossians to the church there. Then we find this man by the name of Aristarchus. He's called a fellow prisoner to Paul. He was a prisoner of the Lord, one of the men from Macedonia. Again, he was one of the ones who was accompanying Paul on his journey back toward Jerusalem. And I want you to notice that he calls him, he says, he is my fellow prisoner. <laughs> so he was apparently accompanying Paul back to Jerusalem and somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was just because of his association, association with Paul or if it was because of his preaching uh, independent of Paul, but now he is also in bonds. <laughs> now he is also a prisoner. But along with Paul, he is writing to the church at, at, at Colossae, or at least sending his greeting, he says, he saluteth you. He's trying to encourage the church. Here are these prisoners trying to encourage free men to serve the Lord. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. And then lastly tonight, I want to look at this man, Marcus. Marcus, also known as John Mark, this nephew of Barnabas, he says, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. Marcus, John Mark, is now greeting the church. Why? Because he is there with Paul as Paul is writing this letter. As I mentioned before, he was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But he abandoned ship. If the narrative of John Mark's life had ended in Acts chapter 13 or even 15, we would probably think that he was a failure. He started off well, he wanted to do right, but he washed out. 
He left. In fact, let's go back to Acts and we'll, I'll show you this. This is the amazing thing. When you compare Scripture with Scripture, you can fill in some of the blanks that are left in, in one place and see something in another place that kind of just gives you a fuller picture and a more complete story. So in Acts chapter 13, verse number five or 4, it says, So they, speaking of Barnabas and Saul, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. But then we go forward to chapter 15, verse number 36. And it says, I read this to you a moment ago. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of God or word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Why would Barnabas do that? Well, Barnabas was an encourager. He was the son of consolation. But he was also an uncle. <laughs> he was family. This kid is blood, you know. Uh, hey, let's give him a second chance. Let's give him a shot. Verse number 38, But Paul thought, thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. So Paul wanted nothing to do with John Mark at this point. He didn't want to bring him along. He didn't think he was worthy or it was a worthwhile investment of their time to bring Mark with them. So much so, look at verse number 39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed. So you have this situation where because John Mark had washed out, because he had left the work, Paul was done with him. I mean, he had written him off. So much so that when Barnabas insisted that he accompany them on the second missionary journey, Paul was willing to break up a missionary team because he wasn't going to go with John Mark. This was not a good situation. And if everything that we knew about Mark ended there, we would say he was a failure. He started off well, but he failed. And yet, though the, the, the narrative of the book of Acts doesn't say anything else, as far as I can tell, about John Mark from that point, there are some things we know about him today. Interestingly, the things that we know about the end of Mark's life primarily come from the Apostle Paul in his later writings. We find that he, after all, wasn't a failure. In fact, did you know that one of the books in your Bible was written by his hand? The Gospel according to Mark. You realize Mark was not one of the twelve apostles. But he was used to write one of the Gospels Recording the events of the life of Christ. Some have assumed, I think this is interesting. Maybe we'll just take a moment. Go back to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Some have assumed that this may have been the first reference to, to Mark and his life as a young man. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just as he's been arrested by the Jews as they're going to take him and the Romans as they're going to take him and, and uh, 
crucify him. It says in verse 50 of Mark 14, And they all forsook him and fled, and there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young man laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. It doesn't tell us who this kid was, but some people assume that this was probably Mark because none of the other Gospels record this event. And so we kind of get the idea, if that, if that is the case, that maybe Mark, because of Barnabas, who was one of the disciples of Christ, not one of the twelve, but he was a disciple of Christ, Uncle Barnabas was following Jesus, and maybe a young man or even a teenager, Mark, John Mark, was following Jesus too would have been around throughout his ministry. And then when years later, when Barnabas and Saul went out to do the work, he thought, you know, I'm going to go along and I'm going to serve alongside of them. I'm going to serve the Lord with them. But the hardship of ministry proved to be too much. And he left and went home. Paul didn't want anything to do with them. There was contention between him and Barnabas. But now, in the end of Paul's ministry, at the end of Paul's life, one of the last letters that he's writing, Mark is with him. To me, this is such an encouraging... Uh, go, go with me to 2 Timothy 4. Such an encouraging lesson that our past doesn't have to define us. Our failures don't have to define us. There is hope. Verse number 11 of 2 Timothy 4. I want you to notice this is, as far as we know, the last letter that Paul wrote. And it says here, verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. Yep, that very one that Paul said, I, I can't bring him along. He's just going to get in the way. He's just going to be a problem. At the end of his life, he says, please bring Mark. I need him. He's profitable for the ministry. You know, no, no matter what, what failures you've had in your life, God can still use you. And by the way, Christian friend, maybe someone has let you down in the past and you don't believe that they're ever going to amount to much of anything. Why don't I encourage you to have a little bit of faith and grace and patience and know that God is able to take failures and help us to actually become something for Him. Galatians 6 and verse 1 says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. So now Paul is writing to this church at Colossae, and he says, when Mark comes, if Mark comes, I've told you to receive him. I've given you commandment to receive him. By the way, just a little side note there. There is biblical precedent for letters of recommendation when receiving someone into membership. This is one of the reasons when someone comes from another church, we, we want a letter from that church commending them to us, saying, hey, receive them. This is someone that you want as part of that church body. Well, this is what Paul is now saying to Colossae. Hey, when Mark comes, you ought to receive him. Because he's a, he, is a, he is a brother 
He is a servant of the Lord, and he is a blessing. And so isn't it interesting as we look at these different individuals, from Tychicus to Onesimus to Aristarchus to Marcus, we find every one of them has a backstory. Every one of them has something. They, they had a life. These are real individuals. And, and I think we ought to be encouraged as we consider that. Because sometimes it seems like, doesn't it, that the, the Bible is this spiritual book that sits over here. And then there's like practical reality that we live in. And sometimes it seems like there's a disconnect. Folks, I, I'm just encouraged as I look at these individuals and re, I'm reminded. These were people just like you and me. They had lives, they had families, they had successes, they had failures, they had struggles and trials and triumphs, just like you and I have, and the Lord used them. And so as we wrap this up tonight, and we'll continue with some of the others, Lord willing, next week, but I just want to encourage you maybe to take some time throughout the week, maybe look a little bit deeper into the lives of these individuals and compare and contrast and it just might be that you learn something from them and can be encouraged by how the Lord used them. Let's pray.